morning, beloved. We will be in Galatians chapter 1, if you want to make ready your copy of Scripture. Galatians chapter 1, and while you're turning there, I want to confess to you, one of my many weaknesses in life is selling things. I am pretty awful at selling things. Uh, it stresses me out a lot to sell something, and you know, things are supposed to be easier than ever to sell these days because of like social media and stuff like that. So you can put something on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist, all kinds of places, that it gets in front of the eyes of so many more people than just like putting a sign up on the corner of the street or something like that. Um, so I should be much better at this, but I'm not. Um, but recently, my dad and I co-own a boat, a little boat, and we um, were changing out the GPS. And so we wanted to sell the old GPS, try to get a little bit of money out of that. And so it became my task to sell this thing. And so I take pictures of it, and you know, the pictures have to be just right. Like, you don't, you don't want to make it look awful, but at the same time, you want to be honest. They're like, it's not new. So you want them to look good and appealing and everything, like the right filter and all this stuff. And, and, and you want it to, like, catch people's eyes, like, make it look really good. Like, it's like professional put this together. Yeah, that's me, you know? Um, but then you, you also want to be honest about it. They're like, yeah, there's some scratches, and it's been used for years, so it's, it's not new. Um, but, you know, that's, that's how that goes. And so I've kind of framed it in just the way that I think it's going to look the best while being honest about what it is. Um, but then all of a sudden, one of the guys who is really interested in acting like he's going to buy it, he's like, hey, could you send me a video of it just to know that it's working? Like, oh, I, can't, I can't edit a video. <laughs> like, this is not good. So now I'm pretty terrified. But he sees the video and he's like, oh, it looks great and everything. Like, okay, he still wants it. And so I'm feeling a little bit better about this. Like, deal's going to go through and everything. Um, but then he, I'm like, well, tonight I've got to actually pull the wires because the GPS on the boat is actually connected to a, a transducer that goes in the back of the boat. And so there's a wire that runs down the console and then through the bottom of the boat where like, you can't get in there. And so you're just having to run this wire through there with a bunch of other wires and all the way to the back of the boat. And so um, if you don't know anything about mechanics, like if, if you're running a wire through a tight space, then you have to think about the future that ultimately you're going to be putting another wire through there. So you need to run a snake or a chase through there. So I'm tying strings to it. And the guy is telling me as I'm trying to do this, he's texting me and he's like, yeah, if you're taking it out tonight, like, good luck, because it's really hard. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, I think I'm going to break this wire in two before I get it out of here. So I get all that done. Like, so just the stress is through the roof thinking like, as this becomes more and more difficult, the buyer's going to change his mind. He's not going to buy this dumb little GPS from me. And I'm going to have to start this process all over. And we get to the point where we're meeting. You know that feeling? I don't know. Maybe this isn't so stressful to you. But like, I meet him at a public place because, you know, that's just weird having somebody come to your house. And so we're at this abandoned parking lot. Actually, it's, it's a new parking lot. Like, the store's not even open. So we're in this parking lot. And I meet the guy, I've got it there, I've got it nice and polished, like as nice as it can look and everything. Show it to him, he's seen the video and everything. And so he's like, oh, this looks great, I've got the money, do you mind if we just throw it on the battery of my truck and we'll just, again, make sure it still works? I'm like, oh, yeah, no, no problem. So we've got the positive and negative terminals there, connected on there, and he's got this massive truck, and I've driven the little Honda. And so, <laughs> like, the little Honda's next to him, and, the, and the, like, I'm connecting it, I'm pressing the power button, and nothing is happening. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> like, we're so close, we're so close. And so I'm looking, I'm like, dude, I, I'm not an electrician. Electricity freaks me out, so, but... This is a big truck running a lot of amperage. Like, so what if we put it on the little Honda that's going to be a bit more like the size battery and power? Like, I have no idea if this is at all making sense. Like, let's just try this. So I move it over to the Honda's little battery. 
I think it comes on. I'm like, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> it works. And he bought it. So, success, you know? Just wanted to tell you that story. No, I'm just kidding. Yes, thank you. <laughs> you feel that. Thank you. This is <laughs> right. That's what it felt like. <laughs> anyway, I share that story because I think it points to another reality that I've been wrestling with all week in Scripture. And that is that when something is important, we want to know that it's reliable. Like any time that you have something important in your life, whether it's a message, uh, a purchase, whatever it is, a relationship, like you want to know that it is reliable. If it is not reliable, then the stress goes through the roof. And really, you should probably just walk away from it. If it's not reliable, then what is the point of staying connected to that? And so today we're going to wrestle with that, that tension. Of just, is this actually reliable? What we talk about every week, and as we're in this series in Galatians, saying you're free. Like emphatically, we want you to know you are free because of what Christ has done. For freedom, Christ has set you free. They're like, but what if that's a message that's not actually reliable? What if Paul was out of his mind? And so let's jump into this. We're in Galatians chapter one, starting in verse 11. I know, we make so much progress every week. So Galatians chapter one, verse 11 um, this, is, this is where Paul picks up. So remember, he's introduced himself. This is who I am. This is who my audience is. The gospel is central to my identity. So we have gospel identity. And then we have this gospel centrality. They're like, hey, in all of this, the gospel must be central. And all of the tension, all of the turmoil, all of the bickering and everything else, like what is going to keep us together? The gospel. This must be central. And so now we're moving on. And verse 11, and now I want to talk about gospel reliability. So look at what he says. Paul's writing here, so remember the context. This is an apostle, a missionary sent to the Gentiles about 2,000 years ago, and he's writing a letter to a group of churches that he helped plant in Galatia or Asia Minor, so modern-day Turkey. So, verse 11. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. So, what do we have here? This is an issue of reliability. The big question that the audience seems to be asking of Paul and what Paul is answering, kind of like anticipating their questions. They're, they're, they're throwing these things his way. And so as you write a letter to someone, you're trying to anticipate, well, what would be the objection here? Or what is it that they're actually asking? And so you're trying to write to inform, give an answer to that. And so Paul is doing that. The big question is, is this gospel that you're preaching, Paul, is it reliable? How do we know this is the true gospel? What, what is this? And Paul wants it to be incredibly clear from the get-go that this gospel he has is directly from Christ. It's not from human origin. And so Paul is saying, like, if you're familiar with the story in the book of Acts, when Paul becomes a Christian, because he was not a Christian, he's actually going to try to kill and imprison some Christians, and he's on this road to Damascus. And so he's on this road into Syria, and all of a sudden there's this blinding light, and Jesus the Christ actually starts talking to him. And Paul is like stunned, falling back. He's blinded by this light. He's like, Lord, who are you? I am Jesus. <laughs> Jesus reveals himself to Paul. And there's this beautiful conversion where someone who hated Jesus now falls deeply in love with Jesus. And he's saying, that's where I got this gospel. It's directly from Christ. This was not given to me by human origin. This was from divine origin. So know this. Is this reliable? It came straight from heaven. I didn't get this secondhand. I got this firsthand from Jesus himself. This is reliable. And so if the question that Paul is addressing is the reliability of the gospel that he's preaching, 
I want us to pause before we move on and let's just think logically here. If someone is saying my message is reliable and you have a suspicion that that message is not reliable, then what are the primary options for how that could possibly be corrupted would be? What would they be? Like, how could he have an unreliable message? And the two that kind of stand out to me is like, either one, Paul, you conjured this up. Like, you fabricated this in your own mind or twisted it in your own way. Like, this is, this is on you, that you have corrupted this or you conjured it up entirely. Or you encountered someone else who corrupted this for you. So if this gospel is not reliable, it's because, well, either it is reliable or it's not reliable because you have made it unreliable yourself by making it up or being corrupted in your own way, or you encountered someone else who convinced you of something corrupt. And so he's actually going to now systematically address those things. So let's keep going as we work through this. Verse 13 says, For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So what is he saying there? He's like, well, I want you to first think about the absurdity of the charge that I would manufacture this. I'm putting myself in Paul's perspective here. You think that I would conjure this up, this gospel of grace from Jesus the Christ? Have you not heard about the man that I was? Look, I was better than anyone around me when it came to keeping the law. I was zealous for God's commands and the law. Like, I outdid all of my contemporaries. I was known for my passion so much. Like, I was so zealous for this and so hated this idea of abandoning the law and just saying, no, it's grace that frees you, that I was actually on my way to kill the people who proclaimed this gospel. So you think I made this up? That's absurd. No, actually, before I encountered Christ and he revealed this glorious gospel to me, I hated this. This was the very thing that I was committing my life to putting a stop to. So no, I didn't conjure this up. There's no way. That's absurd. And so then he says like, and, and beyond that, like, why? Why would this happen? Why would I make this change? Why would I go from passionately hating this thing to now loving it and wanting the whole world to know about it? only because I actually personally encountered Christ. He personally changed my heart. He revealed himself to me and told me this gospel that I now share with you. And so, all right, well, objection number one, that you conjured this up, or you fabricated it in your own twisted way, well, that doesn't make any sense in light of your history, Paul. So, okay, we won't go with that one, but what about, what about, what about if you encountered someone else that just distorted the mess out of this for you? And so let's keep going. And verse 17 um, after the, on the heels of verse 16, where he said, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Verse 17, he says, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, also known as Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. Afterward, I went up to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing, 
He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. So again, a big emphatic, no, I didn't make this up. Actually, I used to hate it. But now your other charge, so you're with me that like, I didn't just fabricate this myself. That makes no sense. But now the other charge, did I encounter someone else who would distort it and give me a false gospel, making this an unreliable gospel? Well, no, because I actually had such little interaction with anyone else who even could do that. Like the chance, the opportunity was not even there for the gospel that I received directly from Jesus to be distorted because of my lack of interaction with others who could have distorted it. Like I stayed pretty isolated. And we can read in the book of Acts in chapter nine, you see that like Paul, even in Damascus, starts immediately preaching in the synagogues. But then he does this weird thing where like he kind of withdraws, which is so beautiful with the discipline of the month that I hope that we're all emphasizing this practice of simplicity. Like the school year's ramping up and life goes to chaos. And yet the call of Jesus is say, no, the mission is actually simple. Don't add all of this extra nonsense and, and like we have real responsibilities and I'm not saying that that's wrong. But we must see what really matters is actually quite simple. And Paul is saying, no, I actually withdrew. I spent some serious time and just beautiful intimacy with God. Kind of relearning. Like this guy knew the scriptures, but now he's having to rework all of this. Like it all is beautifully pointing to Jesus the one that I was trying to eliminate. It's actually all emphatically saying, it's all about him. All of the scriptures from start to finish, they all work together, one unified story, and it's all focused on one person, that person being God himself, namely the Son of God come to us, Jesus the Christ, by the will of God the Father, and now empowered by God the Spirit, who now dwells in us, church. We are his temple as we live he is in us. Like This is a beautiful gospel. And Paul is saying, look, so none of those charges make sense that this would be unreliable. Because I've shown you, I would not have made this up. And I did not encounter anyone who would corrupt this for me. In fact, all of you recognize some of these leaders like Cephas or Peter and James. You trust them that they have the true gospel. I met with them and they affirmed that this is the gospel. And so none of these charges stand. Paul's gospel is reliable. He is showing this. Um, it's the, the message actually squares beautifully with the leaders in Jerusalem when he ultimately does encounter them. So these charges are dropped. What is this all about now? Uh, but then Paul doesn't stop there. In, this, in the same kind of breath, you can hear this final statement in verse 24. Um, and they glorified God because of me. And isn't that the point of it all? So listen, bottom line, the gospel is reliable. We can rely on the gospel. It is reliable. Paul shows the reliability of the gospel that he preaches. How does he do that? To summarize, it's sharing his story. Paul shows the reliability of the gospel by sharing his own story. It's personal to him. But he's not doing that in just this like, hey, let me tell you this emotive story of like what's happened in my life. He shares his story very intentionally. He shares his story to show that the gospel was a direct revelation given to him because he is an actual apostle. You know, we, we said like, we can think of apostleship like capital A, lowercase a. Apostle means one sent directly, but the, there's a special office of apostle in the early church. These are the ones who are directly commissioned by Christ. And so think the 12 apostles and then Paul is added as the apostle to the Gentiles. And so Paul is saying, no, 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 no. This gospel is reliable. It came straight from the source, Jesus. God himself told me this gospel. He revealed it to me. 
on the road to Damascus. I didn't get this from human origin. This is from divine origin. And then, let me clarify again, I hated the church, I hated this gospel, I was trying to stamp it out. So why in the world would I manufacture that very gospel? No, I was changed by the truth and the beauty of this gospel that God himself showed up and personally saved me. And so, no, that charge doesn't stand either. There was no opportunity for this to be distorted by others, but was approved by recognized apostles. So we hear those arguments, but now I want us to step back and see yet another component of this. Another component of Paul sharing his personal story in this to, yes, in a very logical and systematic way, kind of refute any of the accusations against the reliability of his gospel, and yet this also is Paul showing how his story became God's story, and God's story became his story. That the gospel became deeply personal to Paul. This was not just this idea out there that I'd get together once a week and I'd talk about with a group of people who all tend to act the same and sing Christian karaoke and all this weird stuff. No, this is deeply personal. That I have had my life changed. My story has changed to where it's no longer really my story. It's God's story. That is what Paul is saying in this. He's demonstrating by his former animosity toward the church that this gospel is truly a gospel of grace. And that is at the heart of what this whole letter is about. Is what is this gospel? What is, it, what is it that makes this good news, which is what gospel means, good news? What makes this good news is that it is grace. That God's favor, his love for us, his sacrifice for us, his substitutionary atonement, that he died to cover our sin, to take our condemnation on himself. Because of his love, that is grace. We don't deserve that. And so when people are in Galatia and they're trying to add on to the gospel and say, Paul didn't have the right gospel. Actually, it's, yeah, good news, Jesus died and that saves us and everything. But you also, you've got to do this. You've got to also do this. And so you need to start to act this way and do all these different things. And Paul is saying, no, stop the nonsense. You're free. The gospel is good news because you're free. You just live in grace. And out of that, yes, some things are going to change. But listen, it's freedom. This is grace. This is good news. It is grace. And look at my story. Hey, I wanted to kill every follower of Jesus in the world. And so what does that tell us? That God would show up to Paul when he's trying to kill all the followers of Jesus and in love overwhelm him with the grandeur of this gospel that he would forevermore start preaching. What does that show us about this gospel? Paul is saying, look, think back to how religious I was. I was better than any of my peers at keeping the gospel, or I'm sorry, not keeping the, keeping the law. Like I was so good at following rules. Like I was the bright and shining student in the room. I was better than any of my contemporaries. Like, I was zealous about this. So zealous that he's like, I would be kind of like Phineas and like all these different characters in the Old Testament that we hear about that would step in and just like murder people. And yet it was good. They did that out of zeal for the Lord. And Paul's thinking like, I'm like them. I'm gonna put a stop to these blasphemous people. And he's saying like, that was me. So good at religion. And yet it got me nothing. I was dead in it. And life came to me by grace. When I thought I was so good, I realized I was dead. But life came in grace that I didn't deserve. 
the best of the best, did not deserve the favor of God. It was given freely. But then you have the other side. And Paul's like, not only was I the best of the best, I was the worst of the worst. I was trying to kill the followers of Jesus. Like if anyone doesn't deserve a place in the church, the followers of Jesus, it's me because I was trying to kill the church. And yet Jesus showed up for me in grace and said, no, actually, you're going to become a leader of this. I love you, Paul. Like what? What is this madness? This is a gospel of grace. And Paul is beautifully showing by his own story, yeah, I can logically refute your accusations, but I just want you to see ever, ever, and ever more. Like this is about grace. It's all about grace. You're free My own religious accomplishments did not bring me salvation. My own evil in persecuting the church did not disqualify me from salvation. And now listen, I make this personal to you. Do you know you could never be good enough to go to heaven? You could never be good enough to have a loving, right relationship with God. You cannot earn your way into a right standing with God. Paul was cream of the crop. Like, he didn't get better than that. And yet he knew it was not enough. It'd never be enough. There's nothing that I could do to earn my way to salvation. Salvation is beyond my grasp. Christian, do you relish that? Do you just simply enjoy the beauty of how you could never earn God's favor, but he gives it freely? that he loves you so much that when you could never earn it, he just said, let me lavish this on you. Like I will literally love you to death. I'll go to a cross and die in your place. Dying the death that you and I deserve so that we could be free forever. So as Jesus said, we could have life in abundance, that our joy would be made complete. Christian, do you enjoy that? Do you constantly come back to that over and over and over and see the beauty of this gospel that you could never earn it and yet you're here in it? The beauty of God saying, you're mine. You are my beloved. And skeptic, atheist, agnostic, maybe you're here and you really did not want to be here. We could be on so many different ends of the spectrum but maybe you're on the side of it that you say like, that's just, I'm, there's no hope for me. I am so far gone. You would not believe the stuff that I have done in my life. Then Paul's story tells us, no, no, no. You have a seat at the table too. The guy who is trying to kill the people of God, to put an end to it, trying to thwart the ultimate plan of God that he set in motion from before the foundation of the earth, that guy, encountered Jesus and knew that he was loved and had a place. So grace confronts us wherever we are. That You will never be good enough and yet God loves you and welcomes you in. Offering you forgiveness by what Jesus, God the Son, has done on the cross. Dying the death that we deserve but then being raised back to life having conquered sin and death and now holds the keys of death and hell forever. He's alive. And those of you who think you're too far gone, no, you cannot. You cannot outsin the grace of God. There's no one who is too far from the reach of our sovereign God. So will you listen to him?
Will you see the beauty of this gospel? Wherever we are, every one of us needs to just stop and remember this is a gospel of grace. None of us deserve to be here. But God delights to come and save sinners. And that is us. That is incredible. That is so beautiful. And now we have to see that is why Paul is so passionate about making sure that we know this gospel is reliable. Because this gospel that is reliable was revealed to Paul on the road to Damascus when he is converted. And so Paul personally sees Jesus. This blinding light, this overwhelming voice comes out and tells him like, hey, what are you doing? Isn't it hard for you to kick against the pricks? Like, hey, you're, you're like this donkey thing. Like, you're just trying to fight me. But look, give up. I'm going to save you. You're mine. Now, everything you were trying to kill, I want you to actually just go exponentially blow it up around the world. Make it beautiful. Go tell them my gospel. So the gospel is revealed to Paul on this road. And so revealed to him, he now says, this gospel has got to go out. Everybody, you've got to know this gospel. And he's so passionate about this because Paul had a revelation on that road, but how do you and I have a revelation of Jesus Christ? We typically don't get that experience of Jesus, the glorified son of God, appearing to us, revealing himself to us. So how do we have Jesus revealed to us? In the preaching of the gospel. And so we cannot, we cannot just corrupt and distort and, and take lightly this gospel. No, this is the way in which Jesus is revealed to the world is through our savoring this gospel, through our enjoyment of this gospel, through our proclamation of this gospel, from us telling our neighbor and having the courage to say, I'm gonna have a weird conversation with you, but I just really want you to know there's a God who loves this world and it's pretty broken. Like, I don't think anyone's in denial at this point after the last couple years. Like, this is jacked up but there's a God who's gonna recreate everything. He's making all things right and he's inviting us into this because he loves us and he wants you to know that you can be fully forgiven. You can live in freedom and forgiveness, the, the love and delight of God. Pam wrote our call to worship this morning or yesterday. I love that, that passage in Zephaniah that he sings over us, delighting over us. And why? Because he has made us delightful. That is the good news. It's grace. We don't earn our place there. And we don't disqualify ourselves from being there. We simply receive this free gift of salvation that belongs to the Lord. And we enjoy it. We love it. And so we must proclaim it. We must be as passionate as Paul to say, no, it's reliable because there is life here. This is where we find life. And then again, verse 24, he kind of wraps up that passage and he says, They've heard about me. Yep, I'm that guy trying to kill the church, but now I'm working for the church. And what do they do when they hear about me? And they glorify God because of me. Like when you share your story, you need to know this. Your story, your testimony in Christianese, as we call it, you're, you're testifying to something in your life. And that's powerful. It's incredibly powerful. Paul does this repeatedly throughout the New Testament where he gets into kind of a weird situation. He's like, let me just tell you my story. I can tell you what I know. And don't miss this. The power of your story is real. But your testimony is not a spiritual selfie with your favorite filter. And that's how we often treat it. Like, well, let me tell you about my life. It will just kind of frame it in the right way, like me trying to sell that GPS. I'm gonna pick the perfect filter that shows like, yeah, it's used, but it's awesome. 
And we try to tell our story in such a way that like we almost, like it becomes this contest. So like, let me outdo you and tell you how horrible I was and like, and everything. We'd start to say all these things. And then like the filter is Jesus. Like, but Jesus did this. And like, and I, now I'm, and I'm, and I'm. And what we find is often, who is at the center of that story? It's me. It's my spiritual selfie. Look at that. Who is at the center of the gospel? God. It's Jesus. He deserves all the glory, all the praise. We live for his fame. And so, yes, use your story as Paul did, but what is the point in sharing your story? Just like for how they worked it out with Paul, they all glorified God because of me. But the center of my story is God, not Kevin. The center of my story is what he has done. Uh, Jordan Monson, he said this. He said, the secular testimony is focused on the self how it arrived despite the obstacles of the road. The Christian testimony is focused on the person, that's capital P, person, that great obstacle in our wandering path, that brilliant light who kicks us off of our horse and blinds us and calls us to repent and be baptized and commissions us on his great work and even tells us that we will suffer for his sake. That's the Christian testimony. It's all about him. It's about Jesus, and yet his story becomes my story. My story becomes his story because it's all about him. I present him. So let your story be powerfully used by God. Make sure he's at the center of it to show this is a reliable gospel. Like, your story is powerful. Oh, this is a personal gospel that we actually experience the power of God, that you are brought into freedom, Christian, real freedom. So will you take that freedom and just selfishly use it, just ah, kick back, nice freedom. It's like, no, this freedom actually freed me to do the very thing I was created to do, and that is to live for the glory of God. I'll live for him forevermore. And show this is reliable. We can trust this gospel. Um, Like those seeing Paul's changed life, others should look at our life and give glory to God. And that's where we, we bring those two together. This gospel is a gospel of grace. None of our own efforts, none of our works will save us. It is entirely this free gift of God, this eternal life, forgiveness at the cost of the life of a son of God. And yet, out of that reality, that now we are sons and daughters of God who are free, we live for his glory. So like Ephesians 2 talks about, you're saved by grace through faith, not of works, no one can boast. And yet, What did he save us to? These good works that God prepared in advance for us to walk in. But now we live a life of obedience out of gratitude to say, thank you, God, I'm free. And so I'll live for your glory and the world around will look and say, what? What is that, God? Just always pointing to God, his glory. Would you consider this gospel as they see it? Uh, Second Peter, I'll throw this in, we're good. Second Peter, Peter starts this epistle off and, and just listen to how he writes this. It just so beautifully reflects what Paul's doing here. Simeon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through, so how's this gospel, how's this faith come about? Through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. So we have power to do everything that we need 
for life and godliness. But whose power is it? His. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So we are called, and we talked about that last week. If you're called, that means what did you do to deserve to be called? Like, no, it's a call of grace. He called us. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, So because of the gospel, because of what God has done, you have not accomplished or earned for yourself, because of all of what God has done, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Live a life of fruit that gives glory to God. That is what we do out of this faith that comes about. It's grace. We don't deserve it. But now out of that reality, out of that freedom, you live a life of good works to give glory to God, knowing that it is his power behind it. And then he continues this, for if you possess these qualities in increasing increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Now hear this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things, you will never stumble. Your calling and election was by grace. And Paul's saying, confirm that with your life. Will you live a life, have a spiritual selfie, just look at me, or will you live a life of fruit, good works that the world looks on and says, ah, and they glorify God because of me that it all points back to God. Bear fruit, church. Bear fruit. Let's do good works and give all the glory to God. See, this is beautiful. Um, Fruit. Fruit has seeds, right? And what do those seeds do? They make more fruit plants and trees. And so you could argue one of the greatest evidences of fruit, of real healthy fruit, is more trees and plants that produce fruit. And isn't this at the heart of God's mission for this world? That we would bear fruit, and part of bearing fruit is that we would be obedient to the commission, to the command of our Lord to go tell all the nations. Make disciples of all nations. Preach this gospel that is reliable. Let the world know. Let your neighbor know. Let your coworker know. Let your spouse know. Let everyone in your life, and that is not in your life, let everyone know that this gospel is true. It is beautiful. It is glorious because it is God. God is our salvation. He comes to us in grace and love, and he died in our place and says, put your faith in him. Turn from your sin. Trust in him. Call him Lord, confess his lordship, follow him all your days. And that starts with go be baptized, show the world that this is what is true, that this outward expression is an inward reality that I have been saved, I have died with Christ and I've been raised to life with him. So let's bear a ton of fruit and let's invite the world into this to know this reliable gospel. Share your story. Who can you share your story with this week? But make sure when you share your story, who is at the center of it? God. Because your story became his story because it's all about his story. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you that you love us this way. And it's so amazing that you would invite us into your story. Uh, We don't deserve to have a place here other than under your just wrath. Um, To be condemned forever is what we deserve. And yet you are merciful you're gracious. And you came to us. You stepped into our calamity. Jesus, you took on human flesh and pitched your tent among us and lived a sinless life to be the true human, the greater Adam, but then to be the perfect sacrifice that your blood would be shed to pay for our sin. And you would give us your righteousness. God, that is amazing. I thank you for that. Spirit, would you impress this on our hearts, that your gospel is reliable, it is worth giving our lives for, to let the world know it. Thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name.